Welcome back to Detroit Strange. This podcast, spooky. Yes, it's officially spooky season. It is. I'm very excited by it. And it's maybe officially fall weather. I don't know. Who knows with this weather? I think so. It's past the equinox, so I'm calling it fall weather. It's like warmed up a little bit. But like it's cooled down a lot and we're supposed to get freezing rain tomorrow morning. Oh, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Yeah. I just know that it was like cold and then like it was hot and then it was cold again and then it was like hot again. I had a really hard time dressing to go to a concert because of it. Oh, yeah. Um, But I did go to a concert and it was the gorillas and it was amazing and wonderful. So it all worked out. I just did not know how to dress. Yeah, that is like the problem with this time of year of just like, I don't know. But that's also kind of the fun is because you can really kind of wear anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I, I do love the cozy fall Same. thing. Yeah. I got a new shacket, so Ooh. new plaid, like orange. It's cute. Flannelly thing. Yes. Yeah. I have gotten many compliments already on it. Yeah. So it was a good purchase on my side. Uh, I also like saying the word shacket a lot. Shacket's fun. I had a friend who had not heard that term and I said that and she was like, what did you just say? <laughs> shacket? Do not know shackets. Shackets are wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And then my new thing is every time I put it on, I'm like, I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. Yeah. Cake. 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 (laughs) Cake. Yes. The band, not the food. No. Yes. Yeah. I love both though. They're both great. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a Spotify playlist called, Hey, I heard you like cake. The food or the band? The band. Both. It's okay. all the band. But okay. Like both. Share that one with me. I want to yeah. hear your cake playlist. Yeah. Cake has some great songs. They really do. It's one of those bands too that like, I love that you love that, you know, yeah. that you're into them because I love them. Love the band. Love the food. Love the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love movies too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saw a movie that you've been chatting about. Yes, I find. Well, I don't want to say finally because I got, like kind of forgot it existed until this week. But Bros. Mm-hmm. I mean, it came out recently. So it came it's out not... last weekend, and the yeah. only reason I remembered it happened because I was seeing the articles about how badly it did during opening weekend. Okay, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but I kind of understand because the trailer's not great, but the mm-hmm. movie's phenomenal. Okay. Yeah, that which happens is, from time to time. It's a nice surprise. It's better than the reverse. Yeah, which I also experienced recently when I watched Blonde. Because the trailer looks oh, good yeah. and the movie is terrible. See, I saw terrible. that come up and I was like, this could go one of two ways. I'm going to wait a minute and see what people have to say. It's quite possibly the worst movie I've seen in oh, a long time. Well, now I want to watch it. I <laughs> think I put in my letterbox review that I'm not sure I like movies anymore <laughs> after watching it. So oh, no. I'm so happy I liked bros. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Balance it out. Balance that out. Yeah. It just was not good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, the acting was good, but just like the story and everything, it was just kind of like, hey, do you want to see Marilyn Monroe tortured for like two and a half hours? Mm-hmm. I mean, she, nine minutes of happiness, maybe. She had a bunch of shit. Like there was definitely no, a bunch I, of shit. But this, the weird part is, is a lot of this is fictionalized. So it's just like fictionalized um, trauma for her to go through. It's interesting because um, my favorite murder did a episode on yeah. her recently. Uh-huh. And yeah, there was like a, a bunch of really hard stuff like that she did have to deal with. So yeah. I, I wonder why they would fictionalize that when there's actual. Right. Like they just really like 
almost wanted to make a snuff film about Marilyn Monroe is what it seems like, mm. which is so unfortunate. Yeah. Like, well, let's talk about the good movie then. <laughs> yeah, no, Bros was great. Bros, like, I was hesitant going in because it's a gay rom-com and there's always something a little funky about a gay rom-com, like just something off. Mm-hmm. Usually there's too many straight people involved, I guess, or something. But this one was written by Billy Eichner and someone else. I think the director. Oh, okay. But I think it really was good because of that. Because mm-hmm. it, like, I feel like it showed a lot of the realities of gay dating, but also the fantasy of what it could be, which mm-hmm. is nice. So yeah. So it's not just all bleak. Well, anytime movies actually get people involved who... You don't have to live like that exact life, but like right. have some sort of alignment with the subject matter at hand. They're better. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I told you this already, but I felt a little too seen by this movie. <laughs> you didn't mention this. Billy Eichner is an overly re- or like overly self-reliant gay podcast host who won't shut the fuck up. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, God, it's showing a mirror right at me. Not sure I like this. It happens sometimes. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. If I get that love interest, though, I can deal with it. Yeah. He's cute. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The, yeah. the That's the moral of the movie. Yeah. Is that you will end up with a love interest. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Can only hope. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of trials and tribulations along the way. Yeah. That's okay, though. But they're all, like, realistic, which is nice. Cause it's not, like, usually, like, I don't know. I feel like it's, like, they touch on this in the movie, too, that, like, a lot of gay movies are just kind of, like, Let's watch gays be sad and have bad things happen to them. Like every gay cowboy movie is just like, uh, either one of them like gay movies usually end in like someone dying, AIDS, or like always just tragedy. There's yeah. so much tragedy. And just recently they started like actually showing happy gay movies. Okay. Like like Love Simon and Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. But they also, neither of those felt really realistic in a way. Mm-hmm. My parents don't have a villa in Italy. Like, yeah, I can't relate to that. Well, and also there's parts of that movie that are, I mean, it's not like that type of tragedy where it's, yeah. but you know, it, it Love doesn't. Simon wasn't great. And happily, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like every outcome deserves its movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every possible outcome deserves its story and its movie. Yeah. And it should all be represented, you know, yeah. like in. I think sometimes too, when there is a movie made about like a subject matter that hasn't been explored as much because yeah. people were uncomfortable or like whatever, you know, back in the day. Yeah. There's such a stress to make it this like really like um deep. And I think that's why that tragedy thing kind of comes into play yeah. a lot of like how and there historically, yes, there has been, you know, a lot of stuff that oh, yeah. should be explored, but also Let's humanize it yeah. and have just a like a um a reg not regular, but you know what I mean, like just a human experience of yeah. what that could be like. And it's good to do that because it hasn't really been done enough in many communities. Yeah. It doesn't have to be about the quote unquote, like I mean, I hate this word, but like the the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't have to focus on the difference. Yeah. It can be a movie about these two characters and this is who they are. This is, you know, how um, they identify in the world, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be about their identity necessarily. Yeah. It can be about their story. Yeah. And I think this movie did a good job of kind of balancing that. Good. Yeah. I'm very glad that you enjoyed the movie. Me too, honestly, because I was nervous. Because mm-hmm. again, the trailer, like, 
it kind of makes it's gonna lean into the like, well, gay guys don't watch football trope a little too much. And it mm-hmm. does do that, but like not as bad as like there was this movie a couple of years ago called Date or yeah, Date and Switch. I kind of that sounds familiar. It's like not terrible, but it really leans into that trope. Yeah. And I think that's the whole thing too of like humanizing things instead of making them a trope. It's not yeah. a caricature of a person, it's an actual character. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, like, again, that's important to yeah. realize n- nobody's identity is one side and nobody's identity is flat yeah. just because you identify, you know, I am blank. You could write a list of I am blanks uh-huh. that's a million things long. Yeah. You know, there's so many facets of an identity that when something chooses to focus just on one yeah. part of that it's missing that whole human. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just that one part of it. And that's where these like tropes and like things of that nature kind of come from failing to see that we are all multifaceted in many, many ways. Yeah. And those are the parts of us that are like, that, that that's what makes humans interesting. Yeah. Is that like no two humans are alike. Yeah. And I think one really great thing that it touched on is this kind of, I'm going to call it the, like the tweener generation of gays where mm-hmm. like the gays that like 80s, 90s gay, they're born then were kind of like they weren't alive for the gay revolution mm-hmm. or they weren't as involved in the AIDS crisis. So mm-hmm. they, the experience but, is different. Well, yeah, it's and like now it's kind of like, you know, kids coming out at like 10 and like there's a lot of representation in the media and just like it's not as big of a deal. And yes, I'm very happy for them, but I didn't grow up with that. Yeah. And so it's sometimes hard for me to kind of like Mm -hmm. let go of some of this, like other stuff. I, and I'm really, I hear you. And I like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like this is the weird transitionary period. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally, I totally get that. And like just in general too, not even talking about like um, sexuality, but like in general too, I feel like they're, Luckily has been a push to look at everybody's differences yeah. and realize that they're like, there is that human element in all of us. We are yeah. all that. That's the thing that, you know, brings us together is we are all humans. But beyond that, we all experienced very different things. Like yeah. everybody has different experiences. Everybody feels, you know, certain way, uh, certain ways about themselves. Yeah. And also just like, we representation in things was very flat for a very long time. Oh, for sure. Just like I was like literally just thinking about like in the nineties, they were trying to be more representative, but in a very just superficial way where like tokenism. They would, yeah. They will like, I just remember my, like, like a math textbook. It would be like Stephen hands, Esteban, five apples. It's like, just like slowly slipping mm-hmm. in an ethnic name here or there. Like, mm-hmm. that's great representation. Mm-hmm. We got it. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, you mm-hmm. can't just like change a name and think that's great. Yeah. I mean, I look at the things too, like, um, like body image and stuff like that yeah. too. Like it, you look at the nineties and you know, you look at like the way that, um, celebrities were represented and like who yeah. they were and they all had the same body yep. like, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of thing of like one noting and flat uh, flattening that out where it's like, no, that's not everybody's experience. And it doesn't make, there's better, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different people and the differences are actually what 
is cool. Yeah. It's not this one note version of humans. Yeah. That's cool. We need all sorts of stories because that's how you also get to kind of like bridge between things too. Yeah. And maybe offer like a little bit more dialogue or discussion or like wanting to understand other people's stories. We need to tell us to the people are trying to ban all these books. Oh my gosh. I keep reading about I, it and it's, it's so frustrating. How are we there? Like, how is that where we're at right now? It makes absolutely no sense to me. Cause I'm like, didn't we already go through like all this bullshit? And I know it like things are cyclical and they come around, but I'm like, it never worked out well. I kind of feel like it's just people wanting to avoid the real issues and just squabble about dumb shit. And it's like, Russia's about to launch nukes. The world's melting, all this stuff. But let's focus on the books. Yeah, that's the real issue here. Let's, that's what I'm know. saying. Like, it's it's so like, it's almost like arbitrary. It's just a distraction. It's a distraction and it's an accessible thing to do. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like. People are just wanting to be have mad a book about and you have fire. And just want to pick on the gays, I guess, this time. It's it's the most ridiculous thing. But then you have the other side of this, too, where there's people. I saw this is a TikTok. Sorry. Uh-huh. I apologize. But um, it was really cool because I forget exactly what it was, but the, there's a, a group that went into some brewery somewhere and they did a book fair, like scholastic book fair style. Yeah. But they did it and there was some witchy vibes going on. But there was some also like LGTB. L- <laughs> I can't talk. It's okay. Um, Alphabet Mafia. Alphabet Mafia, you know, related content going on and this and this and that. And like all, like all the yeah. things that like would be burned essentially yeah. were available at this book fair. And it was I cool love that. in the video because like people were like, I picked up this book and I'm so excited. And this is why I'm excited about this book. And I was like, please come here. Like, I don't right. know who did this book fair, but I it was a really a cool idea. I book fair back in the day too. I know. That's what, that's what they were kind of like, you know, doing yeah. it. Cause we all did like yeah. classic book fair day. was one of the most exciting days at school. Oh, it was the best. And you mm-hmm. get a little like order form or like you get like the little like weird, like newspapery kind of catalog thing yes. that you would like, Ooh, I kind of want mm-hmm. this book. I want mm-hmm. this book. And then sometimes you would come home with nothing that was on your list and your mom would be upset for sending you with all that cash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, yeah, I just like, uh, I like, I used to like really love a library, but I haven't been in a minute because I also just haven't been reading as much. Mm-hmm. It's hard out here. I do like to own a book. I'm Same. not going to lie. Same. There's something about like breaking it open and being able to do whatever I need to if I want to write in it, which I don't really write in books that often, but I want the option. Right. I want that option. And also I don't read on a good timeline. So. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's part of it too is I've probably already said this in this podcast, but book collecting and book reading are very different yes, hobbies. Yeah. Very different hobbies. Yeah. I do a lot of the former, not so much the latter. Same. It's okay though. Yeah. I love the idea of a book. Same. <laughs> I've got them and they're there. And I want more I just of need them. to get a new bookshelf to fit them all. Mm-hmm. And I think that like it will really just like fix the feng shui of my house. Mm-hmm. I just, every time I move, I purge. So yeah. Even books? You get rid of books when you move? Sometimes. Okay. Um, not all the time. Not like every move, but when I moved across the country, I did. That's fair. So there's definitely a lot less than I have had as yeah. an adult, you know? Yeah. But that's fine. They're yeah. also fun to share. Yeah. It's fun to give people books. Yeah. I like that. That's another part of ownership that's really fun is you can just pass it along. Yeah. Or lend it to somebody and then forget to get it back. Yep. That's uh, pretty common for me. Yep. Mm-hmm. I um, 
Oh, it's unfortunate when you do that with a book that you love and then it's like, <laughs> fuck, and then you should buy another copy of it. Yeah, but I'm also like, you know what? You gifted that person something that you love too. And there's something nice about that, even though it wasn't an intentional gift. <laughs> yeah. I did accidentally take a sign book from somebody I dated once. I feel bad about that every time I open it, but <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. We just stopped dating and then I had it. Yeah. That's and what it, happened to one of my books. I had to rebuy. And there was no like, we're breaking up because it wasn't that kind of relationship yet, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. It fizzled. Yeah. Yeah. And they're a nice person. If you're listening, I have your book. You know who you are. I'll give it back if you want it. Yeah. <laughs> Call now. <laughs> Operators are standing by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're drinking some lovely witch's brew. We are the the pumpkin spice one. Yes. Recommended one. by Ellen, friend of the show, Ellen. Yeah. So thank you, Ellen, if you're out there. Yeah. It's <laughs> It slaps. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's good. It's um, surprisingly not as sweet as it sounds like yeah. it would be. Yeah, because like the older I get, the less I love a sweet wine. Yeah, same. I feel like I like went from like Moscato to Riesling and now I'm at like um, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Like Sauvignon Blanc. I've got some years on you, so I'm, I'm, I'm a few past that for sure. Yeah. Uh, Are you on like Pinot Grigio now? I, I mean, I would drink a Pinot Grigio. I would not drink the former's. Okay. They, you wouldn't drink a Sauvignon Blanc? That one I might. Okay. So that's what I brought. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. That one I might. That one's good. Yeah. Take a sip at least. Moscato and Riesling though. Yeah. I've never really been a big fan of either, but you know, no shade to anybody who is. It's just not yeah. my jam. Yeah. I think in college was really the heyday of Moscato. Okay. It was also like cheap. Yeah. No, I went so red. It's never good. I it's went red in cheap. college. What? It was all red in college for some reason. I, I started with the like dry stuff. Same. Like it was all Merlot. I was always doing like Pinot Noir. <laughs> uh-huh. Because I just like, ooh, Pinot Noir, it sounds fancy. Noir, mm-hmm. ooh. But now when I hear the words Pinot Noir, I think of... um Pinot Noir, Yes, bar. exactly. Pinot Noir, gonna go far. Titus. Yes. Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. <laughs> well, we've got our pumpkin spice wine. We do. Mm-hmm. Check. Are you ready for a story? Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about a house located at 82 Alfred Street. Okay. Have you heard of her? I feel like I've driven by that street. I feel like this house may have come up in a different story. Okay. But we're talking about it for a very different reason today. Okay. I'm intrigued and I want to see if I can figure out what it came up in. It'll be pretty obvious here in a minute. But, okay. Um, <laughs> So it's in the Brush Park neighborhood. Like I said, 82 Alfred Street. Mm-hmm. It's a Queen Anne style house. Big old house too. It's like over 6,200 6, square feet. Okay. And it was built in 1879 by James P. Donaldson. Okay. Who is James P. Donaldson? I couldn't figure it out either. I couldn't find anything about him. So no. he He's built this house. He's a man who built this house. Yep. His name was James P. Donaldson and he built this house. Okay. In 1893, it was purchased by David C. Whitney. So for a mm. while, it was known as the Whitney Mansion. Mm. Was not the Whitney, but I think where he lived. Yeah, interesting. Know. Yeah. So Whitney bought it in 1893, and he mm. hired architect Gordon W. Lloyd to remodel the property into its current Queen Anne style. Okay. And just for some architectural backstory, Queen Anne is a st- like a type of Victorian mm-hmm. with like distinctive features such as wraparound porches, 
high-pitched roofs, bold colors, decorative trims, and asymmetrical exteriors. Okay. So those are kind of like the hallmarks that kind of like make mm-hmm. a Queen Anne, not just a Victorian. Okay. So there have been many owners since Whitney, and the house kind of followed the tri- typical Detroit storyline. When the population boomed in the 20s, then owner Jeanette Davies turned into a boarding house, which is what it remained until the 40s. Okay. The property would continue to change hands for a bit until it was like kind of just left to fall into ruined decay, mm-hmm. you know? So, like I said, house is falling into ruined decay. Mm-hmm. So why are we talking about it? Why is it relevant? I don't to know. spooky season. Oh, it's spooky. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a movie called Only Lovers Left Alive? No. So I wouldn't be surprised if you haven't because I hadn't heard of it until someone at the retreat I was on, David, if you're listening, David, hi, uh, recommended it to me. Whenever I'm on these retreats, I feel the need just to talk up Detroit to everybody. Okay. Yeah. Love it. So I was like talking up Detroit and he's like, have you ever seen Only Lovers Left Alive? It's fantastic. So it's a 2013 fantasy dramedy directed by Jim Jarmusch, starring Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. Oh, wow. Okay. Those are all names I know. Yeah. So here's like the log line. Mm-hmm. Artistic, sophisticated, and centuries old, two vampires ponder <laughs> their ultimate place in modern society. Why is Tilda Swinton like the perfect vampire? She really is. Whenever I think of Tilda Swinton, I just remember Louis Vertel, I think, called her once, italicized Kate Blanchett, and I can't forget it. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah. So the movie is partially set in Detroit, and the house that was used as the home of Adam, Tom Hiddleston's character, was 82 Alfred Street. Okay. So the house was the perfect vibe they were going for because it symbolized, quote, the decaying beauty of a once magnificent city. Okay, yeah. Which, like, we get it. There's a lot of cool decrepit shit in Detroit. Yeah, we've heard it before. But it's cool they used it. Mm -hmm. The Detroit location manager, Christina Constas, was scouting. She scouted many locations before finding 82 Alfred Street. And she here's a quote from her. One of the main and most important locations was Adam's house. They really wanted to stay true and authentic to Detroit and the architecture. Okay, I can respect that. Yeah. So in the movie, production used the exterior of the house many times, as well as the foyer, the living room, and one of the upper floors. Mm -hmm. I guess when they found it, the building was packed with furniture left over from just all the residents that have kind of just like come Mm -hmm. and go through the years. Mm -hmm. Which production used to their advantage. Well, I actually have a quote. Quote, we basically decluttered more than dressed it. You could barely squeeze through the hallway. That's a quote from Greg Braudigan, the first assistant director in Detroit. Okay. So they really didn't have to do much to it. They just like kind of moved a little of the furniture Mm -hmm. out, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Very authentic. Yeah. I also have some quotes from the director, Jim Jarmusch, about why he picked Detroit. Mm -hmm. The places are like characters. They're as important to me as characters in the film. Adam lives in Detroit to kind of hide, and his view of Detroit is desolate, nighttime, and desolation. But that's not all there is of Detroit. Our film doesn't show you the amazing people there, the stuff going on, the interesting activity, but he's not part of that. Okay. So. Recognition. Yeah. 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 And also a quote from Christos Moistes. Moistides? I don't know. Chris M. Christos M. Okay. Mm-hmm. Second unit director for photography said, Jarmusch was truly captivated. He loved the energy and that kind of swagger that the people of Detroit have. 
It was more than the haunting beauty that's so cinematic. It might not be pristine beauty, but there's a lot of amazing history. Oh, Which, couldn't agree more. That's not untrue, yeah. Yeah. So the movie was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the 2013 Cannes Film Festival. In 2016, the film was ranked in BBC's list of 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century. Oh my gosh. In 2019, the film was ranked the fourth greatest film of the 2010s by Todd McCarthy, chief film critic of The Hollywood Reporter. It currently holds a score of 86% Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 75%. And I was just like thinking back, like I did not remember this movie at all coming out. I don't remember no. anything about it. And so I was like kind of looking like what came around, came out around that time. Mm-hmm. Captain America Winter Soldier. So of course oh, we didn't hear about okay. this movie. Yeah. But uh, it just barely broke even at the box office. It had a budget of $7 million and it made six point, or nope, $7.6 million at the box office. And so, yeah, so pretty successful movie, like critically, at least. Yeah, I was going to say it seems like a critics movie and not necessarily a general audience movie. Yeah. I mean, 80 whatever is not a bad score on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes by anything, but the... 86 is pretty good, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to watch it, so... yeah. Well, I was going to say the best part about this movie is it's on HBO Max. So that's why so I we're watching today, it. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, this episode is going to take a little longer because we got to watch this movie now. Okay. So we're going to watch the movie after yeah. you finish your story. Well, yeah. So yeah. I've got a little bit more story. So I figure what we can do. I'll finish up my story, do two truths and lie. And then we'll put the movie talk at the end. So that way, if people want to watch it, they can hit pause after two truths and a lie and come back and listen to the rest. And if- I'll, I'll raise you one. I'll put it after the song at the end. All right. Yeah. So if you want to listen to us talk about the movie, there will be spoilers because yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. But they'll, it, it will be at the end of this episode. Check yeah. it out. Sometimes we do stuff like that over on Patreon too. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we're always looking to build that area. So if yeah. anybody is interested, you know, we'll do more of it over yeah. there on Patreon. And let us know about this episode if you like kind of us talking about movies because we love talking about movies. We do. Yeah. We have some good movie talks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to like wrap up the story. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like it is on HBO Max. So if you're interested, even though the slightest bit, hit pause at the, when you hear the song, watch the movie and come back and listen. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil anything for you because it seems it's. I, it seems interesting. Yeah. I'm it's, not, it looks fantastic. Yeah. I'm invested personally. Yeah. So let's talk about the house, what happened to it after filming. Mm-hmm. So after production wrapped, the house was bought by Jeff Cowan, who worked to restore the, f- the home to its former glory. Mm-hmm. And for a while, you were actually able to rent the house as an Airbnb. Oh, fun. Yeah. But as of July this year, the house was for sale and listed for $3.7 million. Wow. That's a lot of million dollars. Yeah. Because it's like one of the 10 original houses in that part of the city. Okay. And it's huge. Mm-hmm. Over 6,200 square feet. That's huge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I did check Zillow to see what the scoop was, if it sold or whatever. And it mm-hmm. looks like it is still for sale, but the price has dropped to $2.9 million, So, bargain. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so just before I forget some sources, uh, the Detroit Free Press, LocationsHub.com, Wikipedia, Zillow, Rotten Tomatoes, and Movie Insider. Okay. Yeah. What a fun... Like unexpected story, like yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, and love I that figured vampire is such doing. a such a applicable for spooky season. It totally is applicable for spooky season. Yeah, 
which actually, yes, I do have a two truths and a lie for you uh-huh. from mental floss. Of course. Our faith. Love mental flaws. And last night uh, we were both in a horror movie character based show. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Yes. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Horror House hosted by Vincent Price. Yes. A reality show of like five a big, spooky strangers. Like Big Brothers. <laughs> big Brother, but like spooky monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was pretty fantastic. So I was kind of like in the horror movie vibe. So this yeah. is about horror movies. Just... Well-known horror movie facts. All right. Well, the facts might. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, fact number one. The movie Psycho is the first American film to feature a toilet on screen. Okay. Fact number two. Stanley Kubrick typed all 500 pages of All Work and No Play in The Shining himself. Okay. Fact number three. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was inspired by real events. Okay. Can you repeat number one? The movie Psycho is the first American film to feature a toilet on screen. Thank you. Because at first I heard American Psycho was the oh. first movie. And I'm like. <laughs> that's probably not true. And I was like, that's not true. And mm-hmm. then I, when you said Psycho, I'm like, that is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, or is it? No, I'm pretty sure that one is true. Okay. I remember reading that somewhere. So two and three. Sorry, one more time. Stanley Kubrick typed all 500 pages of all work and no play himself. Uh-huh. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was inspired by real events. Number two is the lie. Number two is not the lie. He Damn. actually did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that was like typewriter typing too, I'm guessing, too. They didn't have, they didn't yeah, have Microsoft I mean, Word to copy paste. No. No, no, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment. So is number three the lie? Number three is the lie. Okay. So the main character in it, like the main scary. I've never seen it, so. I've only seen like one of the newer ones and it was not one of the better ones. I've mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's a franchise. There's multiple. It's not a franchise. It's just been redone. Okay. Yeah. So the main, I don't want to say villain. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean? The, the main scary character yeah. uh, was inspired by Ed Gaines. Okay. But that's not how the story goes. Are you familiar with Ed Gein? No. Okay. I'm going to actually look it up. I'm I don't know her. So I don't get it super wrong. Uh, he was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield, and he was a, an American murderer and body snatcher. Mm-hmm. And he was around Wisconsin. There's so many serial killers in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. And in 1957, authorities discovered that he had exhumed corpses from local graveyards. Fun. He also made trophies and keepsakes of their bones and skin. Cool. He did confess to killing two women as well, in uh-huh. addition to digging up bodies. And so it's just a very terrifying so how'd they end up in Texas if this was Wisconsin? Because it's not based on a true story. Yeah. The main character is based on the things that Ed Gein did. In Wisconsin. As far as, because um, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I do yeah. believe he makes things. Yeah. So that part kind of came from that. But other than that, the whole story is fabricated. So that's why it's not based on a true story. But Ed Gein actually did not just inspire that character. He also inspired character in Psycho. And also was inspiration for the Silence of the Lambs. Okay. So, so that was the lie because he didn't, it yeah. wasn't a true story, but there was inspiration taken from reality. Yeah. But also in addition to that, this one's really creepy. So I've got, you know, some more facts for yeah, you. Yeah. Um, honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. So Child's Play. Yep. Was based on a true story. No. Uh-huh. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. Okay, and this I, is my nightmare because this is the first scary movie I ever saw because an older like cousin of mine. It's always an older cousin. I know. I was like four and I was at their house and he was watching it and I saw it and then I couldn't watch the My Buddy commercial for the My Buddy doll after it because it was so scary. Is that the looked, doll that's in it? No, but they're very similar. Gotcha. Okay. Like very similar. Uh, so in 1909, okay. Key West painter and author Robert Eugene Otto claimed, so we're going to you know take it with yeah. a grain of salt, that one of his family's servants placed a voodoo curse, which we all know sure. that is a cursory term thrown around and yeah. often misused, uh, not always misused, but often misused, on his childhood toy, Robert the Doll. Okay. So have you heard of Robert the Doll? No. So Robert the Doll is this doll that has been passed around is very uh, quote unquote haunted. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Adventures has featured Robert the doll multiple times. You, there's certain things you can't do with the doll. Cause like apparently like he'll do stuff to you and the doll would mysteriously move from room to room, uh-huh. knock furniture over uh, and apparently conduct conversations with Otto. Oh, and he was left then in the attic because he got Scared. Yeah. Until Otto died in 1974. And that's when new owners moved into the home. They also claimed mysterious activities would happen in the house, which they related to the doll. Mm -hmm. And today, Robert, the doll is on display actually at the custom house and old post office in Key West, Florida. Okay. But he has been like on loan to like multiple like paranormal shows and things like that. And like, yeah, there's like certain things you don't do to Robert, the doll. Yeah. Uh, so some other fun facts. Stephen King was not a fan of The Shining. Okay. In 1983, he told Playboy, quote, I admired Kubrick for a long time and had great expectations for the project, but I was deeply disappointed in the end result. Parts of the film are chilling, charged with a relentless claustrophobic tear, but others fell flat. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I get that. Like, if someone adapts your work... You're always going to be a little disappointed, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, not everybody's cup of tea is everybody else's. You Unless you're Chuck Palahniuk and Fight Club, because he admits the movie's better than the book. And as someone who's seen and watched, read both, I can confirm it is true. I agree as well. Yeah, yeah. I've done both. Which is amazing, because, like, his books are kind of hard to make movies from. Yeah. I know they've, they've tried it a couple, couple other times. times. Yeah. yeah. And, like... He was very much a 2000s. Yeah, yeah. I remember one time he dark, was... kind of in Ann Arbor Shocking. signing books and some of my friends like went to Ann Arbor to have him sign. I don't yeah. know what books they took, but do you remember when he got outed in like the 2010s? No. Oh wait. Yes. Yeah. I forgot until you said it. Yeah. How weird. Yeah. 2010s. Yeah. Simpler times. <laughs> yes. Sure. In some ways. I mean, um, compared to 2022. That's true. What am I thinking? Right. Like absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. True. So another fun fact, and I thought of you when I saw this one, an actual witch was hired to make the craft more authentic. I love that. Mm-hmm. It was somebody who was practicing Wicca, which is, yeah, you know, what they're doing in there. Mm-hmm. And it was Pat Devon who okay. consulted for them. Uh, Devon is a member of one of the largest and oldest Wiccan religious organizations in the U.S., the mm-hmm. Covenant of the Goddess. And at the time, she was the first officer of the group's Southern California Local Council. Okay. Yeah. So, nice. And she worked like directly with the actors yeah. in the movie too. In, I bind thee, Nancy. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting too, because like there are things that 
not fabricated for movie, but there are things in that movie that are not necessarily like the word. Yeah. But like it all relates, which is. Yeah. It's grounded in reality. Yeah. The reality of the practice. Yeah. This one's kind of fun, too. The stars of the Blair Witch Project actually use GPS trackers to find their instructions for the day. Oh, I knew that. That's so cool. Yeah. So basically, like they didn't know where they were going and the actors had to locate milk crates with three little plastic canisters in them. Each plastic canister contained notes on where the story was going for each actor who would not show it to the other actors. Were they like basically out in the woods by themselves with a camera? Like I kind of, I think, I think, I mean, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I've only seen it once, but they, I mean, the fear in the movie is real because they weren't really divulging the information along the way necessarily. That is such an interesting like way to do a movie. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, that's why it it made such a kind of like big thing. And I mean, a lot of people thought it was real for, a long time. <laughs> I wish it's one of those movies I wish I had seen closer to the release. I saw it in the theater. Nice. Mm-hmm. I think I watched it a couple of years ago. So like mm-hmm. I was kind of like, that's it? What happened? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Cause I'm just so used to like horror, modern horror. Cause it's usually, like, I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, same about Royal Ten Bombs. I watched that actually because you were you talking got- about it the other day. And it's interesting to watch it through the lens of what you had said about it. Yeah. Because you were talking about it basically like he's done better. You have too much to chew on. Well, here's the thing though. But if you put it in the context of when I saw it. Yeah. I didn't have those things after it. Yeah. And so it was really unique and interesting. No, But I also was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, this isn't as like tight, we'll say. Yeah. As some of the other pieces. I can appreciate it as Wes Anderson kind of figuring out his style that he then perfects or like gets more form. I don't know. He kind of like perfects a bit as he goes on. There's finesse. Finesse. There we go. That's the right Finesse that is definitely added. Yeah. Uh, That Exorcist was the first horror film to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. Okay. Because usually there's like a bias kind of against that that genre a little Mm -hmm. bit within the, the awards circles. Yeah. And it earned 10 Oscar nominations in 1974, including uh, Best Supporting Actress for Linda Blair. Okay. And this one's interesting to me. Gene Hackman was slated to star in and direct The Silence of the Lambs. Interesting. I know. And basically Gene Hackman and Orion Pictures split the $500,000 needed for the movie rights to the book. Uh So that's how he kind of like signed on. But Hackman dropped out just days after, after you watch clips of himself in the 1989 Oscars as FBI agent Alan Parker in the violent Mississippi burning. Uh-huh. And he decided not to do one dark role after another. I, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we wouldn't have Anthony Hopkins and he does a fantastic job. He's so job. good in it. Who? Oh, John Lithgow was actually like on the, the short list of possibilities really? for that too. I read that somewhere else, but yeah, yeah, I, we almost went all silence of the lambs today because because my next fact is also about Silence of the Lambs. Buffalo Bill's dance in Silence of the Lambs was not in the script. Oh, I love that. It's such a good scene. It was in the original book. Uh, and Ted Levine, the actor, yeah, basically insisted that the scene be included because that's character development. Absolutely. That's a huge bit of character development. And they went with it then. Which yeah. I'm like, that is amazing and I love it. Have you read the book? I have not read the I'm book. I'm not. No, I do know people who like really, really like Same. it. Same. I probably should read it, but 
That involves reading, which yeah. I've already admitted <laughs> on this podcast I am not great at doing. And so last fact, Steven Spielberg thought his DVD copy of Paranormal Activity was haunted. <laughs> Love that. So kind of urban legendy, which is why I didn't put it in our main facts. But DreamWorks Studios was considering distributing Paranormal Activity. So Spielberg took a DVD of the movie home to watch it. But then he got freaked out when the door to his bedroom locked by itself. Ooh, and that was like before smart locks. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, so the whole story about how the doors to his bedroom got locked from the inside. Personally, I believe it. Basically, Spielberg famously carried the DVD to work in a trash bag because he thought it was haunted. And despite that the hefty sh- bag is really going to protect you, Steve. I know. Maybe a glad bag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, despite the shock, Spielberg loved the movie and suggested a new ending that was used in the theatrical release. Nice. Yeah. So just some spooky movie facts. Yes. For us, the spooky season. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that pretty much wraps the episode part of this episode. Yeah. Stay tuned after if you want to hear a movie talk. Yeah. yeah. We're about to watch the movie and then report back. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. I guess we probably usually just feel then. Yeah. So if you want to find us on our social media at Detroit Strange on Instagram, Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address, Detroit Strange at gmail.com. And you know the drill. You want to support the show? Leave us a five star review anywhere you can review. It tickles us pink. Mm-hmm. Um, Patreon, always an option. Threadless, all the things. Yeah. Tell a friend. Yeah. Tell your grandma. Yeah. Tell your cat. Yeah. I mean, that won't help that much, but I like cats. So. Yeah. But I think. Until next time. Stay, stay strange. strange. And stay tuned for that movie review. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence. Detroit Strange. Well, we did it. We Is it recording? It. Yes, Sorry. yeah, we are recording right okay. now. <laughs> we did it. We watched a movie. The movie. The movie. Specifically, only lovers left alive. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, just vibe. Yeah. I didn't say that before, but let's talk about the vibe. Yeah. It it's is such a vibe. Tense, dark, but like in that like cool kind of like artsy dreamlike gothy, a little bit. Yeah, like. Like gothy, vampy grunge. Yes. And it is perfection in that way for sure. Yeah. An intensity building. Yeah. Without like there being big action. Just subtle changes that suddenly just kind of like sharply raise the tension. We'll talk more about the concept maybe at the end of it. Yeah. But the concept is incredibly interesting. Yeah. Like more so when you're watching it even than it like verbally yeah yeah coming out we talked about we talked about kind of breaking it up into sections while we talk about just to give us something to follow along with so let's start with the beginning yeah and in case you didn't hear the spoiler alert earlier we're definitely getting into it so if you don't want spoilers stop now yeah or hopefully you watched it too yeah watch it with us yeah so yeah the first chunk it sets up the premise. Yeah. It's, you know, as, as any good movie, like there is some kind of character building, but they don't do it in a very like smack you in the face way. 
Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. Like you're kind of figuring stuff out as it goes. Yeah. And I think like it's very interesting how they did it. I've like never really seen a movie do it so like smoothly and subtly before. Yeah. You kind of don't realize that it keeps flipping back and forth between two things because he just does it just is so smooth about it. Yeah, the opening the opening shot. It did take me a second because it's two people in a similar position, like doing the same things, kinda. Yeah. But there's this like swirling, like zooming in on them thing happening. Yeah. Then and they have they both kind of have this like euphoric sense about them. Yeah. At the time. You know, as as you go down the road, I think you know, you figure out they just fed in some way. Yeah. But it was very beautiful to watch. And it did take me a second to realize that they're in two totally different locations, two totally different people, you know. Yeah. And also um, the the dichotomy, the way that they set it up too. So Adam is all dark. Yeah. Everything. And Eve is all light. Everything. Yeah. Which I thought was some interesting choices too. Like all of her clothing is very like light and airy and like. You know, it's not necessarily like always white. Yeah. But it's like that beigey, creamy kind of whatever. And he's always like in that like rocker kind of dark, dark mostly black, yeah. you know, kind of clothing, even their hair. And just to clarify, Adam is um, Tom Hiddleston's character yes. and Eve is Tilda Swinton. Yes. So, yeah, they they set it up incredibly well. Yeah. And just kind of like showing their it, separate lives because... Eve is in Tangier mm-hmm. and Adam is in Detroit. Which even the Detroit Tangier kind of like de- like juxtaposition in that movie, it, it follows that same thing of like, you've got these kind of like creamy, like um, earthy tones coming in like the yeah, Tangier like like spaces. Stones and, yeah. And then you go to Detroit and there is kind of this like dark grittiness, but like in the good way. Yeah. Like a, they just, I think I mentioned like they called it hauntingly beautiful. And I, I could see that in the way they shot this movie. Yes. Yes. They're married, but they're living in separate places. I think it does a nice job of kind of setting up what their kind of separate day to day is looking like. It does. And then like you have a lot of questions that will be answered. They like do a good job of keeping you guessing. Keeping your interest to want those questions answered. And yeah, so we discovered that they are indeed married. They are indeed like deeply in love. Yeah. Uh, they're just living these like separate lives because they've been here for literally ever. Right. It's like kind of like almost like if your spouse like, I'm going to go on vacation for a week. It's like kind of like I'm going to go here for a decade because yeah, time is irrelevant for exactly. vampires. Their video chat is interesting too. They have a video chat. Yeah. Uh, and he's a little depressed. Yeah. We know he's a little depressed. She knows he's a little depressed. Especially when she finds the special wooden bullet he had made. Yeah. But the depression is what led her to come see him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they handle that. And yeah, he had a special wooden bullet made by his bestie. Yeah. His, he, and, they call all humans in the movie zombies. Yeah. But the best zombie. Yeah. Like he was just someone who kind of just procured things for Adam. Didn't ask too many questions and just like. Even signed an NDA. Yeah, super helpful and appreciative and just kind of like, yeah, man, whatever you need. Yeah, Uh, which is one of the earliest scenes in the movie, too, of their interaction. They're looking at some old guitars that he has brought him that... Yeah, because Adam's a musician. He creates music. Yeah. Again, perfect Detroit choice. Like, just that representation is beautiful. Yeah. 
Uh, and his music, he's very coveted about sharing his music, yet it yeah. does like kind of get out into the world. It's interesting because he is creating it because he wants to get out there, but he's very like guarded about it, how he wants to get it out there. It's precious. Yeah. Very precious. Yeah. And maybe because he's been burned, you know, like yeah. you kind of get that feeling from him too. Like they do a good job of like, there's a lot of this in the movie throughout the movie of like not pinpointing exactly what happened in the past. Yeah. But indicating and it go it explores more the emotions, I would say, of like what happened in the past. Like it, it conveys those more than the specifics of like yeah. past stories. But there's also a lot of um, references to like people that they've interacted with in the past. Mm. And they're all, you know, like, like famous composers, Tesla. Yes. Yeah. Tesla. Well, he's a scientist. Like Einstein. scientists do Einstein, mm -hmm. Newton. Yeah. Like all the things. And he's also into science. We yeah. kind of discover as the movie progresses too, which is uh, really cool. Like those are the people he at one point maybe revered, but then all the other zombies did not treat in a way right. that he, you know, thought appropriate. Yeah. I uh, didn't hear some of these scientists out properly and right as just, a result of that, it just has like made him more like just jaded. Yes. Oh yes. Perfect word. Jaded. Yeah. Which I thought the, the building of all that is really beautifully done. Yeah. And then as we kind of continue throughout, then we kind of get to little, uh, know a little bit more about Eve. Cause in the beginning I would say it's like, it was more focused on him. Oh, for sure. And then kind of her existence. Yeah. And then as it keeps going, we see her come to him. Yeah. Because she's a little worried about where he's at headspace wise. On her night flights. Yes, her night flights. Yeah. Which they didn't overdo. Yeah. Which is great. They like had her booking the flights. She's like, Tangier to Paris at night and then I'll stay a night in Tan or no. I'll, I'll stay a night in, in Paris, Paris. Yeah. And then Paris to Detroit. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you know, she's on a plane and it's like, oh gosh, here's this coming. But no, it's her landing in Detroit on the plane. There's like a moment where like the guy across from her cuts his finger and she's like, oh, that looks good, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Which again, like going back to like, this is an interesting concept because it's the vampires who don't act on impulse. Yeah. They, they hold those impulses They're very back. controlled. And it was really cool because both of them have a method for obtaining yeah, the blood that they need, but it's through sources that don't necessarily kill somebody. Yeah, like he was buying it off of a hospital, the Packard like, plant. <laughs> yeah, he like pulled up to the Packard plant. All of a sudden, it was a hospital, which yeah. I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, Maybe and they just used drove it multiple times though, and they used it as the Packard plant, which was also very interesting. Maybe he just drove past it the first time and then ended up at a hospital, but they did not make it clear. No, because that bridge. Oh yeah, the was bridge was the the, kind of like the receiving. Yeah, yeah. So I, they just spruced it up for that one shot, and honestly, it did look different. Oh yeah, but you yeah. can still tell that's what it was. Yeah, they clearly, they, honestly, in Detroit, it was the house, and then the Packard plant is where they spent the most time filming. I'm, like I mentioned earlier, like the, the director really has a focus of like the setting is kind of a character too, and I think they did a really good job yeah. of showing Detroit, in, like as a character in a way like oh my gosh just the different buildings that you would see like mm -hmm. they went inside the old michigan theater mm -hmm. they drove past the fox mm -hmm. yeah we even paused the movie to see what to read the marquee, on the marquee. Yeah. yeah 
like you obviously shots of the Rensen, but also like you mentioned the experience of driving from downtown to out in the city and how it goes from like big city and lights to like nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it gets very dark the farther away you go from city center Yeah, and you definitely get that feeling, you know, and rush park isn't like that far, but also right. it just sets that vibe of like, he's really out kind of by himself. Yeah, exactly. That, that kind of like desolate feeling. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, for that character, that's what he wants. Cause he, he does want to hide. There's, there's yeah. a, several scenes in the movie too, where the rock zombies or what do you call them? The, the, yeah, I think just rock zombies, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But basically like fans. Yeah. Uh, are outside of his house. Cause he has like a little security system. Yeah. They're not fangirling necessarily. They're just kind of like loitering. Yeah. It's interesting because it's, it builds into his character, but it's not like a huge plot point or anything like that. Yeah. It just adds kind of to like this mysteriousness of him as a musician. And it, Ian even calls it out at the beginning. He's like, I think the more mysterious you are about your music, the mm-hmm. more people interested want, they're going to, yeah. yeah, the more int- like it makes it a thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. People are here. Curiosity is, yeah. is a human thing. And just going back to when they're driving around the city, they do it several times, which is yeah. really kind of neat. And they actually talk about what they're seeing, yeah. which I thought was cool. Like, they drove that, past Jack White's yes. child at home. Yes. What did, what did Tilda Swinton's character say? Uh, Eve say? Oh, um, little Nick or little... Um, Little little Jack White. Yeah, little Jack White. How precious or something like that. (laughs) But yeah, it's nice seeing like, because like part, the second chunk that we kind of like chunked it up in is when she arrives in Detroit and it's the two of them, you kind of get to get a better feel for what their relationships actually like and how they do really love each other. And just like, they just like, they. she has like, oh my God, her packing. She packed two suitcases of books. And she was just like getting ready to pack and she's like reading every book and putting it in the suitcase and just like there's a wide variety of books. And, and we like, need to reiterate, that's all that was in the suitcase. Yeah, she didn't pack any clothes. She just, just mm-hmm. her books. And some of them were fun choices. Yeah. Um, I saw Infinite Just in there. Yeah. There was one book of some sort of art and she stopped and there was like a some sort of carving of Adam and Eve, but it was of course written in a different language. Yeah. But she like, gingerly like ran her hand across the page and kind of had one of those moments yeah. looking at that, which was, I thought kind of a cute nod. Yeah. What other books were in there? I was trying, I was trying so hard, but there's so many. <laughs> yeah. In there. Some sort of Kafka. I did see a Kafka yeah. in there and stuff, but and Basquiat. Oh yeah. There was a book of Basquiat's work, uh, but it was interesting too. Cause I mean, that's all her house in Tangier was, was books, literally books, books. everywhere. Yeah. And even later in the movie, you know, we'll come back to this part, but like even later in the movie, there were books in the fridge. It was interesting because it almost <laughs> seemed like each vampire kind of had their own thing. Their own, yeah, because like the older, I think his name is Christopher Marlowe or something like that. Yeah. He was a writer. She had all her books and stuff and kind of seemed more like literary. And then. And she could date things by touching them. Yeah. She was very good at like identifying things. They all had like. I don't, it's not a superpower, but they all had like some really sort of perceptive like, touch because they were always wearing gloves. Well, she definitely out. had perceptive touch. He had that, he had a very fast reactionary yeah. thing that he could do, 
But yeah, I mean, I think they all have some sort of sensitivity because they were good, but they also didn't overexplore that, which I thought yeah. was interesting because it was like, there's just like something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of my favorite scenes at that part anyway is when they're playing chess together and she pulls out the blood popsicles from the freezer. She's like, I'm doing an experiment. I tried something new. Mm -hmm. It's typo. Yeah. Or typo negative. Yeah. Which is apparently the best. I mean, it's the, if we're going blood, it's the purest blood. Yeah. But like, just because there's, you know. I mean, I think that's why it was the best. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting to think of that, that like some blood types would taste better than others kind of thing or. No, but I think it was also the purity too. Because yeah, yeah. it was kind of this, um, it didn't come up too much, but this kind of uh, bad blood. We'll we'll get to a part where the bad blood becomes like more important, but it yeah. was like a theme throughout, like it, it built throughout the movie. Yeah. He made a comment to Eve, like kind of like, it's not enough, like they're pollute like their blood is polluted they're polluting their water what are these dumb humans doing zombies zombies yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. oh yeah there this was definitely a comment about yeah contemporary culture i mean like not really culture but like or maybe lack so, of concern yeah i would say yeah uh there was definitely adam had quite a few opinions but they were all very highly valid yeah and do we want to kind of go into the third? Yeah, I was gonna movie? say so, like, because it's like the the built up moment, yeah. and it's not it's not an action like usually vampire movies are they're not action movies, but there's a lot going on. And actually, I feel like they focus a lot. Like, I feel like usually in vampire movies, a lot of the focus is on them being vampires and what vampires do. And it's not that they don't focus on this, but it's more about the relationships between them necessarily than like. We are all vampires. Kind of know. Well, and it's not fast paced. Yeah. There's that's a very lot of true. vampire movies move at a like very fast kind of like motion. Yeah. And this is like the the pace setting. I mean, it's that of an indie flick. Yeah. At times it's slow, but it's still like excellent to watch. Engaging so, still. Yeah. It's slow but engaging. Yeah. So, but it just it doesn't like read the same way that a like vampire movie my you know what i mean yeah. in general because like you said it is actually about the characters themselves not one one part of their identity more who they are than what they are yes exactly yeah exactly so yeah that was ugh. yeah and so like in chunks one and two technical term chunks um yes. like the older vampire marlo was just kind of like i had a dream about your sister to eve mm-hmm before Ad, she left. Before she yeah. left. Then she gets to Adam and Adam was like, I had a dream about your sister last night. Mm-hmm. And later Eve's like, I had a dream about my sister. I think she's going to try to find me. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get back to the house and boom, there she is. Mm-hmm. Rude as fuck. Let herself in listening to Adam's music. Yep. Mm-hmm. Drinking his blood. Yeah. Although no, not, not, not she yet. Couldn't she couldn't it. find it. Yeah. Yeah. But she's hungry. Yeah. Right so away. Feed it, me. It's Ava's little sister. Yeah. It's Ava, Eve's little sister, and just kind of like a little shit, typical little sister kind of stuff. And I think at this point we might know something happened in France. Yeah. We don't know exactly when, but it's been a while. 87 years. Well, we find that out. Yeah. And they They don't really say what it is, though. It just, but it was fun too, because, you know, you start guessing in the back of your head. 
and it all makes sense. And none of it's like hugely shocking necessarily, but it's kind of fun to not have it just like all laid out. Right. Right. It, like, I think that is one thing that I did like about this movie is it didn't like handhold too much of what's going on. It was kind no. of like, you got to read into it a little bit, not like a ton, but it's just like, we're not going to hand it to you. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause there was like times I kind of like chuckled for a second. Like it's not, it's not a comedy. Yeah. Uh, but there's like some cute, cute moments. They're cute chuckles. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's some like cute moments sprinkled throughout it as well, which kind of made it more real. You know yeah. what I mean? Like feel kind of that more. Yeah. Based in reality, even though it's a very, not based in reality concept yeah. necessarily. But that third part, I would say that's like the, the everything kind of builds to that yeah. the most. And uh, she's kind of just like increasingly like pushing the envelope, pushing the buttons, kind of like, like it's morning, time for breakfast. Like well, it's night. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's dark out now. It's time to get up, which is, I think it was always kind of funny to hear like, uh, it's starting to get light out. We should go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's very opposite, but like in the most appropriate way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, trying to think some of the other things, because there were a few other moments where that kind of stuff was sad, where it was like cute. Yeah. I can't remember any, but the, yeah. There's one in chunk four I could break up. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So like Ava just kind of like being a shit, stirring the pot. She's from, she's living in LA currently. Yeah. Which I think Adam calls Zombie Central or Zombie City or something. Yeah. yeah. Home of the Zombies or right. yeah, yeah, something like that. And she's she's a party girl. Yeah. You can definitely tell like that's the difference between like Adam and Eve and Ava is Adam and Eve have that control and that discipline mm -hmm. to know that blood doesn't just grow on trees type of thing. Like you have to kind of be careful and ration it because you like don't want to run out. And you can't necessarily go around killing people because then you're constantly covering the tracks of right. that situation. Right. And I mean, I guess they don't really dive into it, but you kind of get the feeling that they don't necessarily want to, you know, be on the hunt or the kill. Yeah. Cause it just makes things so much more complicated. Mm -hmm. They've kind of worked out these systems mm -hmm. for a reason. But I do also wonder, is it just the complication or is there like a, like a moral, moral responsibility as well? I think a little of both. I think so too, but they yeah. never explicitly lay that out. Yeah. It's just the vibe that they give off. Yeah. And Ava's very much not that. No. She's just chugging, ready to go. Yeah. And it all kind of culminates and she's like, I want to go out. I want to see live music. And so. They meet up with Ian. They meet up with Ian, the the zombie friend. Mm -hmm. and, and he doesn't know. Yeah. It's interesting because some of the people who in the movie who are not turned. Yeah. There's a couple, a handful that do know. Yeah. For the most part, they don't. Ian is one who doesn't, even though he's very close with Adam. Yeah. I, yeah. I understand why. Like, yeah. Oh, for sure. So they go back to their place and they're like having a good time still. And they're like, it's time to go Ian. Mm -hmm. And, and she's like, but I let, let him finish his beer. Yeah. And then she's got her arms around his neck and just kind of like, huh. he's trying to kind of hurry up and go. And then the next night happens, Ava, where are you? And we all know exactly what happens there. I mean, like they built it up so well. Yeah. And 
it is kind of the obvious thing to happen, but it didn't feel. You weren't certain it was going to happen, but you weren't shocked that it happened. Exactly. That Ian was basically sucked dry. Mm-hmm. I think I even turned to you in the scene prior and I went, if something happens to Ian, I'm going to. I know. Be so he's, he's so sweet. He was just <laughs> like, to. just like wanted to be their friends. Mm-hmm. Like he did get paid by Adam, yeah. but like also like one thing Adam wanted was a, a special bullet. Of, yeah. Uh, wood and copper. Copper. And he went and found somebody to make it in this like this special wood that doesn't float. It sinks because it's so dense and like yeah. all this other stuff. And they used to make guitars out of it even. And yeah. you know, yada, yada, yada. And Adam goes to pay him. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, so much last time. Yeah. And then Adam insists and he's like, oh, just thank you. I just thank you. It wasn't yeah. necessarily about that, but it does help him, you know, like right. so he takes it. But like they, you could tell they had a good relationship. Yeah. And Ava so, sucked him dry. So then they throw her out. And she didn't turn him. Yeah, she could have turned him, but she just, she doesn't have that control. She and just, she ruined his favorite guitar, too. Yeah, she smashed, she smashed up the room in the process, too. Mm-hmm. And then, like, kind of didn't remember in the night, when, when night fell. Like, when she was woken up. Yeah. She was like, oh. Oh, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, oh did I do that again? Oh, mm-hmm. so now we clearly know what happened in Paris, right? Because like basically, they never happen- say it though, right? They never say it, but like after that, of course, they have to get rid of Ian's body because mm-hmm. and get rid of Ava. Yeah, they they throw her out. Yeah, they yeah, throw yeah. her out. She's like, "Fuck you, fuck everything. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Bye. Like you suck." Which mm-hmm. get out of here, girl. She does. She suck real bad interestingly enough too, we don't see inside of her suitcase when she's leaving though. You see a bunch of clothes hanging out. Yeah. Again, just like kind of adding that, you know, what's different and like where, where the priorities are and right. you know, things of that nature. Right. And yeah, so she gone, she gone. And then they have to roll it up in a carpet. They take them to the Packard plant. They dump them in this acidic, very you know, acidic. pool of acid that just starts to dissolve him right away. Mm-hmm. And then like, Tilda Swinton's line, though, after that was like. That was visual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was perfect, though, because it was exactly like what Just, we're all thinking. Right. Like, watching that. And he has to basically burn down his life in Detroit and start out like they end up going back to Tangier. So mm-hmm. this is starting into what we've called chunk four getting towards yeah. the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's very it's really sad because like you can yeah. kind of tell like Detroit, like you said, it's another character in the movie. Yeah. And. Like he built a generator for this house uh-huh. and like, you know, this musical equipment, all his instruments that he loved. Mm-hmm. So Tilda Swinton's booking the flights and using their fake passports. Like the line I was thinking of is date of birth. And she looks at him like, oh shit, look, 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 look at the paper. Yeah. Like, Which date of birth are we on right now? What makes sense for how old, like, yep. you know? Yeah. Cause after thousands of years, like, yeah. Just wouldn't be able to like, or you wouldn't care to take track or keep track of that at a certain point, other than for these instances. Right. And like, it's like any luggage? No, just carry on. You can see Adam's kind of like, my instruments. She's like, I'll buy the most beautiful instrument in Tangier. Mm-hmm. They get there. Yeah. She's like, it'll be fine. I got my Marlo, blood source. Yeah. Marlo, give us blood. From France. Yeah. Good French doctor. Oh, the French doctor. Yeah. 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 So. They make the long, arduous journey back at their night flights, not eating the whole time because they can't 
you can't check blood or you can't carry on blood. Mm -hmm. And they finally get to Tangier. Walk up all those goddamn stairs. So many stairs. There's nothing there for them to eat yet. And they they go to the place that she usually meets her friend. Yeah. After trying in vain to reach him on the phone a few times. Yes. Yeah. But unfortunately... He is not. Got, well. Yeah, he got some bad blood because they they talked about earlier when Ava. Mm-hmm. She said, "I don't feel good." Like maybe it's blood poisoning. Don't joke. It's like no, that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did a good job of foreshadowing, like in that way too. I yeah. thought again, it wasn't slapping you in the face, but you knew it was coming back around. Yeah, it was information. Every bit of information I would say was like intentional and very intentionally placed throughout the movie. Yeah. Again, to not slap you in the face with exposition, but just to give you enough so that you're like, I think this is going to do something. And then it does. Yeah. And so he's on his deathbed dying and he hands him like the tiniest flask and said, this is what's left of the good blood. I got some bad blood. And I'm I'm about to check out. It seems like I love that they implied that he wrote a lot of Shakespeare stuff at that time. Called him. I think he called it like some illiterate dolt or something like that. He did. And then there was a <laughs> one of my favorite things was the photo or the photo, the drawing of Shakespeare on the wall with, with like a knife through a knife it. Just stuck, like, like in the head, the, the forehead. Wall. Yeah. <laughs> Before we reveal the ending, I want to know what your feelings were. About the ending? Yeah. We didn't because we didn't yeah. say anything at all yet. I think it's fitting. I think it's a fitting ending. It's a little abrupt, but mm-hmm. like. I think that in a weird way fits the movie. I think so too. Well, because they kind of set it up at the end. A will they won't they for a second. Yeah. And it's not a will they won't they get together. It's a will they won't they. Suck this couple. And also like. <laughs> say suck this couple. Yeah. That's a hilarious way to put it. Yeah. Which I think was funny because like they're debating like. Do we turn them? Mm-hmm. Oh, how romantic. Yeah. Well, that kind of like, I thought that was an interesting tie into the title of Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm, it's yes. Like, you turn these two, lo- like, it was a couple they, making They'll out. have each other. Yeah. Kind of a thing. Yeah. I didn't, I did not make that connection, but yeah. Yeah. And then we don't know. We don't know if they turn them or if they just dry them. Yeah. Because the last thing we see is them walking up to them and basically saying, excuse me. And then the camera just shows a very quick shot of the fangs coming out. Yeah. And then just cut to black. Yeah. What did you think of the ending? I thought there was going to be more of a debate of like, is this our end on purpose or do we do this thing? Yeah. Only because like he was already kind of done at certain points anyway. Yeah. And not that I wanted them to have like a suicide pact or anything like that. Cause it's very dark and sad. But I was wondering if that would come back around a little bit in that moment. I yeah. didn't think it would be with, do we turn them or do we, Yeah, you know, I thought it was going to be, do we do this or do we just. I wonder if they would actually die of starvation or just basically be so weak they couldn't move. You Which know? eventually would lead to them dying of starvation because the sun would get them at some point. True. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have that control factor of being able to go to where they need to go to. Yeah. And I mean, like, that was the whole thing anyway. It's like they were way too weak to travel out of the city. Yeah. Without something in in their system. Yeah. And so I think that it's it's interesting because it raises a lot of vampire problems. Like, yeah. As a movie, 
of, of like the logistics and things behind that and the nature of that. Yeah. But it does it in a very human problems way. Cause I feel like a lot of time Adam is so focused on like, Oh, the humans are like polluting everything. Mm -hmm. They're killing the scientists. They're just doing all this dumb shit. And like, they're not, I think he feels that he's so separate from it, but the ending shows that like as stupid as he he thinks humanity is, he needs them. Yeah. That's like, he's absolutely true. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an interesting message of this movie that like as stupid as you think other people are or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like we're all kind of in this together. Like you're not separate as much as you try to be. You can't really be separate while still alive and here on this earth. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm processing it and I like it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's definitely a movie that I feel like I'm going to have to watch one or two more times. Yeah. To like fully get, and it's like, a definitely like you have to pay attention to it movie to to take, yeah, it in. Otherwise, I think I think it's like because I multitask sometimes and I watch yeah. things, and by that I mean do shit on my phone, which is yeah. dumb. You can't do that with this movie because I think it would make it boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I think absolutely. you have to see all of the components of it together and take them in fully together. And I think it is one that you could probably watch like multiple times. Yeah, because I feel like. It's the type of movie where I feel like I would watch it and find something new every time. A new connection. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, like, even just, like, the concept of this movie, too. And now that you're talking about the title, too, the title is kind of genius with that tie-in. Because, you know, uh, Only Lovers, I was just thinking the original Lovers. You know what I mean? Like, Adam and Eve. And, like, that's kind of where we're starting with this, like, whole inception of human life. Although they do what do they they call God? Uh, um, there's one point where somebody says something about I think it's her sister says something about God, and she says something along the lines of like, "Well, that's a joke anyway," or something like, "Yeah, you know about that," which is interesting. Like, are we still doing that? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. But it is interesting. So you have this kind of like beginning of humanity. Yeah representation who have just been here the whole time. Yeah, just evolving along the way. You know, at one point we see one of their wedding photos from their third wedding, which was yeah, around the creation of the camera essentially and like things like that and stuff. And we look so young. Oh yeah. Cause they, they age slightly in this. I guess so. Yeah. Universe. Just and, a little bit. Yeah. But it's interesting too. Cause like towards the beginning of the movie, when they're talking about like, when you said they, they've been here the whole time kind of thing, it brought up for me of Adam says, like, I don't know. I just feel like all the sand start to get towards the bottom of the hourglass until the Swinton was just like, turn it over. That's, that's, you know, it's time to turn it over. We've seen it time again with the plague and then this and then this and yeah. then this and kind of certainly does start to feel like that these days. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates hard. Yeah. It's hard to believe that this movie was made like almost 10 years ago with yeah. it resonating that hard right now. Yeah. Uh, not that time. there wasn't shit 10 years ago. There was, but. Yeah. It's just abundantly more, like, very clear now. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. Yep. This movie was beautiful in so many ways because it was visually beautiful, but it yes. was also, like, the thought process of it is very Poetic. Beautiful. Yeah. Poetic in a way. It's artful in a multitude of ways. Yeah. And, yeah. And then the music. The music The music was, is great. Perfect, yeah. perfectly chosen. There was a few scenes where it got a little loud, which my only critique of that is that the balance was hard because 
their dialogue was lower. Yeah. So, you know, we had the TV turned up for that. And then when the music swelled, it was like, oh, this is a lot. But that would be my only critique. The choices made in it and the way that the music progressed throughout it, I thought was really, really delightfully done. And like, it wasn't just ambiance or anything like that. Like it added to the story. Yeah. uh, In a way that was subtle. Yeah. This movie does subtle too well. Yeah. Subtlety and tension building. Yeah. Tension building without like a ton being thrown at you. Yeah. As far as like, again, it doesn't, it's not fast. It's not a fast movie. No. movie, But it's so engaging that that doesn't matter. Yeah. And that tension underneath it just keeps that engagement, like almost on the edge of your seat at times. I think the pace really allows you to kind of like be in the moment. Yeah. Soak in it and be in the moment with them and kind of. What really is happening in this moment? Let's like uh-huh. just kind of like steep in it for a minute and yeah. kind of get the full effect of this. Yeah. So out of five stars. Yeah, I was trying to come up with a cutesy rating system, which is the only reason I stopped and paused. Five fangs. Out of five fangs, how many? I was I was thinking about this ever since the movie. Honestly, during the mid movie, because like I've been so in letterbox lately. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I'm and then a, a two-line letterbox review after it. Yeah. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I'm going to give it a four, Fangs. I did like it. That's another lot. Like, there's the stars, and then, like, whether you liked it or not. Which yeah. I think is interesting, and I think that's... I'm glad that Letterbox does that, because there's movies I'm like, that's a great movie. I didn't like it. But yeah. So, yeah. So, four Fangs, liked it. And my letterbox review would be maybe something about like come along on the ride. It feels like a ride in a way, just kind of like like you're really along with it, with the way oh, it's yeah. paced. Yeah. It's not like a fast journey by any means. It's just kind of like escape into this for a little bit. Cause it really just, you can get into it just cause it's just so beautiful and just like the pacing of it. Yeah. I can, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you? I'll go four and a half things. Okay. I say visually appealing. Love the hair. Yeah. And love the Detroit scavenger hunt. Yes. That I got to play during it. Uh, and also that like they actually talk about the places. Yeah, no, I like, I really think, like I, I, like I said, they showcase the city really interesting and in like a, mm-hmm. a good way, I think, of showing mm-hmm. like, like the vibe. Yeah, I think so too. I, yeah. And realistically beyond that too, I, do, I, I would add in something about interesting story. Yeah. Still not sure how I feel about the end. That, that yeah. would honestly be my one like kind of like drawback is I'm like, I, I think, don't dislike it and I get it, but is it, I don't know. I think be, I think that is one of the things with the pace that it did kind of feel very abrupt, the ending. Yeah. It felt more traditional vampire. Yeah. And they hadn't really been that way at all. We didn't even see. Which I think kind of makes you like it. Yeah. I don't dislike it. Like yeah. I, said, I just have to soak that part in a little bit more. No, for sure. Like we literally just got done watching it. I'm going to think about it the whole drive home. And That's like mm-hmm. definitely worth a watch. If you haven't seen it, definitely worth a watch it's on HBO Max. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
So those are our thoughts on this. If you give it a watch, let us know. Yeah, Yeah. let us know. Give us give us your how many fangs? Yeah, how many fangs you give it? And you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, would would love to hear that. Yeah, we love to talk movies. Love to hear other people's opinions on movies. And this one just kind of fit a lot of things. It's spooky season. Check. It's Detroit. Check. Tom Hiddleston looked good. He did. He looked real good. good. (laughs) Check. Check. Also, too, if you... It's a kind of sexy movie, too. It is. Even though, like... I'm not going to say, like, sex is never represented, but it's really not, like, um... There's nods to it, but like you're not seeing it or anything like that. Yeah. But there's like the essential factor the to their sultry, yeah. Yeah. Um, to their relationship. So it's not in your face, which I also kind of enjoy more. Yeah. Um it, Again, but it's, it's the vibe be- it's the vibe between them. Yeah. They have great chemistry. They have very good chemistry, yes. Yeah. So so you know, if you're if you're <laughs> If you're in a spooky, sexy mood, yes, this is the movie for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're we've already signed off officially. Yeah. So, I think we're just gonna leave you with. We hope you like it. If you watch it, I mean, if you don't, that's fine too. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And if you got any recommendations, yeah, like this was a recommendation. recommendation from someone. So if you have any movies that are set in Detroit about Detroit or really just any movies that you've seen lately that you love. Let us know. We love movie recommendations. Yeah. Another than that, uh, I'm going to throw in stay spooky. Stay sexy. Watch this movie. (laughs) And have a good one. Yeah.